This is Daniel King, and you're listening to George Fox Talks Wellness. Good morning, everybody, or afternoon, where whatever time you're watching this. I'm so excited to have our guest today, Dr. Erica Berry, to come in and um, share her time with us. Um, I'm really excited about that. Thank you. And I'm just going to start right off. All right, let's jump in. All right. So the my first question I have for you is, what does the I tell us about our health? Oh, that's such a long answer, but I'll try to keep it short here. Um, Obviously, they say eyes are windows to the soul for a reason. Mm. You can see, obviously, a ton of things from there. And probably before I went to optometry school, it was just, okay, going to the eye doctor, you'll answer the question one or two. Um, but realizing the back part of the eye, there's blood vessels, there's nerves, there's a front mm. surface. Um, especially, I mean, we're even getting younger demographics coming in with eye pain and things like that from screen time. And, mm. and in two seconds, we can look at the front surface and see how much time they're spending on screens and, and how, um, they're utilizing their eyes essentially throughout the day. And with that, we can see, um, again, just the usage and then the back of the eye, the, the nerve, the blood vessels that gives family history, it can go back, I mean, lineage, as far as we know, Asian, African-Americans have different eyeballs too. So different colorations, it's it's pretty incredible. All the things that you can get just from one single look at the eye. Um, that again, there's there's a lot, that's that's kind of a loaded question in a lot of ways. Yeah, that, um, that's fa so fascinating though. And has technology really helped you to be, you know, be able to see the back of the eye more? Or would you say uh, it hasn't changed at all? You know, it's interesting because in a lot of ways it stayed the same. I mean, as far as the one, two question, it's it's been there for decades and it will probably be there decades after because eyes are it's so subjective. I mean, what one person's idea of clarity is, is so different than what the next person's clarity is. So that will always be the same and that hasn't changed at all. Now, as far as the health side goes, technology has definitely, I mean, come leaps and bounds. As far as taking pictures of the back of the eye, pressures, um, they have now little handheld devices that can read your tear film and tell you exactly the inflammatory markers, things like that. Um, scans have been around for a while, but are getting a lot more advanced and so, I mean, cataract surgery is just night and day what it used to be. So mm. all of those advancements have been huge. Mm. Um, but I think what we're seeing a lot with the technology side is is kind of in the materials as far as glasses and contacts and adding some, you know, visual computers to contacts coming soon. And, and some of these things, new drops as far as trying to get rid of reading glasses. So a lot of the technology side is trying to help fill a need for things that we're missing or things that we want and, and keeping up with that. So that's where I think more of the technology is is excelling. But as far as diagnostically, definitely a huge, huge improvement there. Wow. So what is something that you're excited about? I mean, you said some really cool stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, talk about these glasses right, that could show, um, you know, videos people, right? and everything with it. You know, I think... That, that's a double-edged sword. Just like everything else, you get 
more access te to technology, but it also takes away from the availability to be in the moment at the same time. So I think a lot of those things that they're coming out are really cool. Um, my hope is that can get more access. I mean, especially to some of these underserved areas mm -hmm. where basic washing of the eyes, trachoma is still leading cause of blindness in Africa. And wow. it just comes from hygiene. So it's kind of like if there was a way that we could utilize that to help that end, I would be much more excited. Um, but I do think some of these, these, I mean, an eye drop to get rid of at least nearsighted for six hours is a huge advancement mm -hmm. for those that hate reading glasses. And, and I know coming up on that, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be excited about that when it gets there. Yeah. Um, although I do love my glasses. So, so, so you mentioned something about, um, you know, I, I want to say privilege, but um, having an opportunity to um, serve your community or serve internationally. I mean, it's one of the things and maybe it's more like holistic optometry or maybe it's just being community focused. I mean, you mentioned a few things because when I think about reading glasses or even eyeglasses exams, it seems like there might be a certain social determinants, right? Oh, 100 percent. 100%. And and I think that's the the most frustrating thing is and I know we talked about it, but coming in with this ideological view that I'm going to help people see and it's going to get that gratifying feeling. A kid's going to put on glasses and say, oh, my gosh, I can see again and everyone's going to be crying. That's what you think you're coming into the mm -hmm. profession doing. At the end of the day, though, it is very much socio, I mean, economic status. And you have to carry those lines that, I mean, these are accessories, just like a handbag. You have mm -hmm. Prada, you have Gucci, you have all of those that sell class. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you have people that can barely afford just the basic need to see. And seeing is something that dictates education and work and and all of that have too. So it's amazing the variety. And I mean, it can start community and it can go nationally. I mean, it just depends. And on the national scale, you have the missions, you have things like that. But the toughest thing there is it's, you know, the white savior complex where you go in, you mm -hmm. fix a couple of things, you walk out, you feel good, but you're not getting to know these cultures. You're not embedding long-term solutions. Mm -hmm. You're helping for two weeks. And so that's where I think, um, it, it just, it depends. I, I, I mean, obviously one person would love to start at the community level, 100%, but I think there's just so much opportunity on the bigger scale too. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a passion of mine as well too, as you and I were talking about, mm -hmm. you know, why I put, um, why we've been able to put here at Fox um, physical therapists in primary care. It's a promise I made my grandma when she was dying of cancer because she didn't get very good treatment. And I sent her that I would try to help as many people as I could. And so I started a private practice and uh, I thought that was the way. But then coming here, I realized that not that not everyone could come to me. That hundred percent. And I think that's the other thing is, is especially these days where there's so much competition or accessibility that, OK, well, if I just go to Costco, if I go to these things and it's it's kind of pushed through depending on how much you spend. And yeah. and that's the downside about a business in itself mm -hmm. is you have to worry about the financials too. Mm -hmm. But I think there has to be a better balance. There has to be access. There has to be that um, personal side to it. Yeah. And, and I definitely can relate on that perspective, wanting to do more than just sell glasses. I mean, at the end of the day. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's another um, point that you bring up. You just don't have a doctor of photometry. You actually have an MBA as well as a nutrition degree. I think it's a master's degree or something like that, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. I I like to do a lot. Um, (laughs) I feel if you ever stop learning, it's a boring day in life. So um, I'm all about adding new things and not so much for the title, but just for the knowledge. I mean, knowledge is a gift that we're given and it's incredible what you can learn from just listening. Mm. So... Yeah. So can you share a little bit more about the nutrition part? I can share all about that. Because it's come up in a lot of our episodes, right? So we've had people come talk about exercise. We've had, uh, you know, physicians talking about like how to make a plan. And we've had people come and talk about social determinants of health a bit. But, you know, I kind of wanted to know about this holistic optometry or maybe nutrition and how you how you see it and why you would go back and get another degree um, on something like that. 100%. And I think this circles back to your first question Mm. um, as far as health of the eye goes. And a lot of times eyes are looked over for health. But a little bit um, personal story is 13 years ago, I did have leukemia and it did kind of have that life altering moment in my life. Um, I think there was definitely a shift in perspective, shift in mentality, but also shift in identity with that. Mm. And that's one thing I I really harp on is um, just that identity factor. And I think with nutrition, it's something that's so, everyone knows nutrition, everyone knows what they should eat and how should eat, but actually getting there is different for everyone. Mm. And so when I was going through the treatments for the leukemia, I, um, ended up actually rejecting a medication. And because of that, I went down to 80 pounds and I lost all my muscle mass. I was Mm. not able to walk up. I mean, 22 stairs in the house. I could count them every single night. I went up there Mm. and the doctor recommended, oh, just put your bed downstairs. And and that's something I refused to do. That was, I I could in my mind walk up 22 stairs a day. I had all day to do it. Mm. I would do that. And it was interesting because what they told me was drink insurers and eat fatty foods to gain mm. weight back. Um, sure enough, when found out it wasn't the medication, it was a lot easier to gain weight back. So that was, you know, obvious. But um, so I think for me, it was I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to learn a little bit more about this whole nutrition thing, mm. what I can do to get healthy fats in mm. instead of just drinking these insurers and and things like that. So um, I ended up going back to get a master's in nutrition mm-hmm. after optometry school. And it, as much as I was using it for myself at that time for cancer, it opened my eyes to optometry as well. Mm-hmm. And diabetics, one thing you can see in the back of the eye is if there's any diabetes or hypertension or changes from any of the vascular system, you can actually see it. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because talking with patients they don't have as much access to the nutrition side. It's more through primary care or an endocrinologist or here's a medication or we can help fix that in the immediate. immediate. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost lost to talk about diet. And mm-hmm. it's interesting when you're talking to diabetics that have these changes in their eyes about what they're doing with their diet. And they say, mm-hmm. oh, I just saw my doctor and they gave me a new medication. So 
I want to break that. I want to have those conversations in the exam room too mm. of, okay, let's look at this more holistically. Mm. Let's look at it as diet. Let's talk about these things. And I think initially patients are a little bit taken aback. Like yeah. you're an eye doctor. You're not supposed to talk about this. Mm. That's where everyone should be talking about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know PT, but everyone should be saying, how is your diet? How are you working on this? What mm -hmm. are you doing every day? Um, and just reiterating that. And so I know for my journey, it was eat fats and I couldn't do, I did not see eating a hamburger after what my body had gone through mm -hmm. as a good thing. So adding in that nutritional side to it, suddenly it felt more empowering to have that. And I want to share that, I mean, with the eyes and with that half. Yeah. So. Oh man, you just unleashed a bunch of things <laughs> that is so powerful, right? Yes. I, I mean, I think lifestyle medicine is like really important. And I love the fact that you're talking about that with your patients. You know, I guess technically I just want to know just mm -hmm. from my own self, like what does the blood vessel look like if there's like a diabetes or hypertension? And then I would love to talk about maybe some foods that you uh, maybe share with your, you know, your clients or just with us here. But like, what does it look like? I mean, what does a really healthy blood vessel look like in the back of your, your Just eye? what you would imagine. I mean, a healthy blood vessel looks kind of like a healthy blood vessel. The eye is actually the only spot you can see blood vessels yeah. without any type of surgery, dyes, anything like that. It's the only spot with clear skin. Hmm. And so we get so much from that. When we see hypertension or diabetes, it's it's kind of like little droplets of blood next to it. And wow. when it gets really bad, it's like someone stepped on a ketchup packet. It just squirts out. And um, that's where if it's happening in your eyes, it's happening in your kidneys, it's happening in your feet, it's the same vasculature that's that's there. So we get worried and we say, okay, we see this in your eyes. What are your kidneys doing? How mm. long do they have? We don't want you on dialysis. So with that, and I mean, every, I think person has their, in the back of the head, okay, I know my blood sugars are mm -hmm. high. I know I shouldn't eat this. Mm -hmm. I know, I know I went through and I had diabetes and I thought, okay, fruit, that's a healthy food, mm -hmm. not healthy. There's mm -hmm. a lot of sugars in that and you need to watch that. Mm -hmm. And that was something that even having a science background was so backwards for me. Yeah, Fruits and vegetables are good. Yep. Sugar is bad. Yeah. Well, fruits are bad. I mean, fruits have their own sugars too. You have to be careful with that. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, one of the first thing I tell all the clients is, is look at the glycemic index. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the basic. There's a lot of apps these days. If you ever think, oh, I probably shouldn't eat this, you probably shouldn't. And look up that glycemic index. And it doesn't mean don't eat it. It mm -hmm. just means have a bite of it instead of a whole piece of it. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's, there's, still the whole psychological half. And I think that's what I got out of the nutrition mostly was mm. how much psychology is in eating. Mm. And for a while there, I was on a feeding tube and it was the worst torture ever. Technically mm. I was full, but the act of eating was lost. Mm. And you don't realize how much happiness just comes from chewing and mm -hmm. eating and socializing and having those access to, hey, I'm putting something in my body that mm -hmm. I can control. And so when that's lost, it starts to become someone else is controlling you. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like diabetics are kind of rebelling when you say, oh, don't eat this. Well, I'm just going to eat that, but I'll pay attention to the rest. Mm -hmm. Moderation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the key is you can have a piece of chocolate, just 
small piece. Mm. Eat something healthy with it. Mm. Now, if you're going to add sugars on your dressing, a salad's good, but you have to look at the things that are in it too. So Mm. it goes against what your mentality is in a lot of ways. And you actually have to start to break it down a little bit more than that. Mm. And so when we start seeing that, that's the conversation is, you know, what are you eating? Take a diary of those foods that you're not supposed to. Mm. If you're questioning it, write that down. Then look it up later, see how much it is and and follow that. And mm. know because a lot of times too, I think we want to stay ignorant to the things that yeah. we don't want to know. Absolutely. So if you look up and get that information, all of a sudden it's in front of you and you can't forget that. Yeah. So I think there's just a lot of those learning little bits. And that's kind of what I get to is it's not don't eat this, don't mm-hmm. do that, can't be this. Mm-hmm. It's take that control back, learn about it, mm. learn, find those numbers yeah. and utilize it to yourself. Yeah. Um, I think we all have our conscious that tells us which way to go. Yeah. So I think we just need to listen to it more. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest obstacles I have when I'm um, trying to make behavior change as a physical therapist is always time restraints. Do you ever feel that? I mean, in just in our industry, right? I mean, because we do so much now, we have so many great outcome measures, lots of things to do. You obviously have multiple specialties. I pride myself in some of those things too. But like, what do you do with time? Like, how do you prioritize that as a clinician, as a as a someone in the community, maybe even as a friend or a mentor to some of these patients or people, right? I mean, what do you do? That is the. <laughs> Best question. And if you have an answer for that, let me know. Um, Because I don't. And I think that coming from the medical side of ophthalmology, um, it was see a patient every 15 minutes. And that's enough to introduce yourself, say what's going on and walk out. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't get changes. I mean, there's been numerous studies that show the more time you spend with a patient, the more successful they're going to be, the more you learn about the patient and the less they come back. So Of course, on the business side, the more you have them coming back, the more that you see them, the more money, the things there. I don't I I think that's a a kind of bad policy. Mm. I mean, you want to see people back, obviously, they're they're nice people for that reason, but you want to take care of them. They have other things in their life, too. So I think it's balancing what they need at that time Mm. to be taken care of. And some people it's glasses, some people it's learning, some people it's just talking about why they're not able to do those things. Mm. And I can talk to a diabetic 30 minutes about their life and feel like I accomplished Mm. more than saying, hey, you need new glasses, let's talk about Mm. this, that, or the other. So I think it's focusing in on what that patient needs at that time to make the changes needed. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about that, actually. I mean, there's a, it's not new, but something that we've talked about on the show is person-centered care. You know, it's like we're figuring out that it's not always about the diagnosis or the medical issues up at front. Sure, we have to prioritize that and triage that. Um, that's something that, you know, comes with our clinical decision-making and our training. But it's also an understanding what the person needs and to ask them if that's okay for us to discuss those things and see if that is a priority for them. Um, and I think it's, you know, we're really surprised. I I think, and you hit it right on the head. I mean, it's breaking down those kind of images we have. When I go to a PT, I'm not expecting to talk about what's happening in my life. And yeah. and so we're kind of those tertiary. You go to your primary care and you say, okay, this is happening and let them figure it out. But when you see kind of these 
side, you know, medical or these mm -hmm. specialties, you, you just don't think, oh, I'm going to talk about my life with these people. Mm -hmm. It's I'm going to talk about my eyes and that's strictly that. You can tell so much once you start learning more. So mm -hmm. you, there has to be that barrier broken. Yeah. And I love that you're kind of going against that to break that barrier. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think um, another like maybe tip beyond talking about barriers because I could talk about that. Uh, right? Day, right. Exactly. hundred percent. Let's yeah, exactly. That's always fun to do. But, uh, you know, like, so what are some of the most, and we, let's just pick a pathology or mm -hmm. someone that we, you might see commonly. And it's, you know, one of the number one diseases that we have is just diabetes, right? Yep. Someone comes in, like, what are some of the maybe two or three things you're going to share with them? Like what they should eat, something practical, or maybe you're not giving them that. Maybe you're just talking to them about the glycemic index, right? What are some of the maybe helpful things that someone might be listening who might be going through the same thing, right? Have diabetes right now. I'm wondering, you know, they're starting to see some blurry things happening or things like that are changing pretty rapidly now. What it's, are some of the ideas or some of the things that you you would want to share with somebody like that? I think the what surprises most people is the relatability. I've been there. And I think that's something unique that as an athlete and as someone that has nutrition and relatively healthy, having that relatability to know pricking your finger and mm -hmm. having to look at your food and changing that relationship with food, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And so just being able to listen and talk about that and make them feel comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing I offer is just empowerment. Mm -hmm. I mean- a lot of these people, it, it, it comes to um, these patients, they're, they're incredible people. They have mm. such incredible lives and incredible stories mm. and everything with it. And over time, I think there's just doubt. There's just this, I tried that and it didn't work, or I did this and it didn't work. And those are little battles that they're mm. winning and they need to know that. Mm. And so I know that I, when I was a diabetic, I, there was, I was in a diabetic coma like every other week because I was eating the wrong things wow. um, and just never had changed my lifestyle until mm. I realized, okay, this is bad and, and mm. obviously need to. So I think that's something that you just get defeated mm. and it's breaking that mindset of you can't do this or you haven't done this or a pill can control this to mm. what's the long-term goal? So, I mean, I know that's kind of not exactly the answer to your mm -hmm. question mm -hmm. because there's not really, I don't, I don't like to specifically say, do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's more learn this. I mean, it, it just goes back to give a man a fish, mm -hmm. make him happy for a day, teach him to fish, make him happy long. And so I feel like if you give them those, I mean, we'll sit down with their phone and download an app mm -hmm. about the glycemic index. We'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. We'll look at blood vessels. We'll look at mm -hmm. if we continue, you know, what can happen and things like that. And just encouragement. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, we're the harshest critic on ourselves, And mm -hmm. sometimes just having that affirmation of you're doing really well. Yeah. These are some small changes you can make. Yeah. It goes a long way. Absolutely. So I love that parable you shared, you know, but I think this is the thing. Like a lot of people like giving fish to the person because it's fast. Exactly. The immediate gratification. It is. And so and then you kind of still weld some type of power, right? Because you have the rod and you have the bait, you have the hook, right? And so to teach someone how to do that takes might take some time. It does. And then it now kind of gives, you know, empowerment to someone else, not just yourself, which is 
I think a power struggle that we're trying to figure out or it has been talked about a lot between, you know, provider to, you know, a person, you know, and I think it's it's a it's a challenge. And I love your language around it and how you see people, because that's not something I hear normally when I talk to people, people I, who are providers, you know. Well, and I absolutely. And I mean, I think that is the trouble is the power. But I think it's also, I mean, and, and this goes back to everything you've touched on, time. We don't have time to go through mm-hmm. and teach them how to download. So let me just tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, the power struggle of, okay, take this pill so at least we can get things under control and then we'll worry about what happens. Yeah. Or and, and it's just pushing it to that next instead of in the moment taking care of, I'll let the primary care take care of the medications and that half. I have time. Mm-hmm. I will love, I gladly talk to you about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that same sense, I think you build a level of respect and a build that relationship mm-hmm. of, I want to see you do good. Yeah. And that's at the end of the day, what I want is for people to feel that. Yeah. So I love that. I mean, we've touched on so many things, like we've talked about lifestyle, behavior, obstacles, but I want to go back to lifestyle medicine for a second, because I know a secret about you. Yes. Well, maybe it's not a secret. Maybe you share openly, but like okay. you you just recently did an Ironman, right? I mean, you had leukemia, yes. leukemia, what, eight years ago? 13. 13 yeah. years ago. So. And, and then you built yourself back up. You have a practice. And now you just completed an Ironman. I mean, tell me about that lifestyle. That is... I mean, again. Oh, maybe we should tell them like what an Iron Man is. Okay. So yes. Well, an Iron Man is only. I mean, it's a lot of crazy people. Um, but <laughs> it's uh, a two point two mile swim, and okay. then it is a hundred. Oh my gosh. Hundred twelve. Hundred twelve mile, mile bike. bike Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. then a marathon at the end. Right. Twenty six point two miles. Yep. I think something like that. So exactly. You try to lose some of those numbers in there when you're out there for hours. But um, I think you know, there's a lot of incredible people out there with incredible stories too, and it's just one of those stories that fits in there. But going through cancer and the the longer version is when I had a couple months to live my brother signed up for an Ironman in my honor. Mm. And so in May, I had gone to my graduation. I ended up graduating early um, from Virginia Tech. And so I thought everything, I had a great day, felt great, came back, first doctor's appointment, told me I was going to (laughs) die, told me hospice options, told me two months to live. Um, At that time, I was getting infusions every other day of blood, every three days, or every other day of platelets, every three days of blood. And so they said at some point, either we have to stop or your organs are going to fail. And so they said, you probably have about two months is Mm. what we'll give you. And um, in that time, I was ready. I mean, I had made my peace with God. I had prayed about it. I had talked to my parents about it. I mean, I was... I I wasn't myself as far as I knew. And um, so I told my brother, I said, I'll make it to the Ironman Mm. and then we can do hospice options. Sure enough. And this goes back to one of my fundamental beliefs of listening to patients, Mm. which sounds common sense. But finally, a doctor listened to me and I was telling him over and over, every time I take this medication, I feel horrible. And every doctor would say, well, these are harsh medications. These, you just went through a bone marrow transplant. This is what we expect. Sure enough, 0.3% of the people are allergic to the medication I was. So finally someone, and it was a nurse and it was a resident and it was on the lower end of the totem pole. I mean, as far as that goes, but 
figured it out that this medication was causing TTP. And that basically means my own blood vessels were slitting open or my own blood cells were slitting open my blood vessels. So I was killing myself in a way with this medication. And, um, but in that time, had I not promised to my brother that I would be there, I wouldn't have had the time to do this. So that day I was in a wheelchair with my feeding tube with my dad and, and we went and I napped probably 10 hours of the 12 hour day that he was racing, but woke up every single time to watch him go by and was just so proud of him in a way, Mm. so touched by it all. But I swore one day I would get back to that point in my life that I could do this. If I beat cancer long enough, I would fight for this. That's one goal I wanted. Mm. Of course, I wanted that to be next year, (laughs) but it took 13, 12 years actually to get there. Um, And so I finally ended up going back and nutrition had to rebuild from the blocks. I mean, I wasn't even too much of a girly girl as far as hair and makeup Mm -hmm. and things like that. But when you lose your hair, you lose a lot of Mm -hmm. that identity was just very much in a dark spot. And as much as I had made peace with God at that moment, when I came back, I was very angry. I was very mm-hmm. much resentful. Why me? Why did this happen? I had my plan, mm-hmm. which is such a joke now, because let's be honest, it's his plan, not mine. That's so right. I have no control over that. That's but right. at that time, I was very angry. And so um, by the time I came to do this Iron Man, it was amazing because it wasn't me. It was all the people that got me there. There was my brother starting the chain and then my parents and then mm. amazing people with team and training and person or uh, my trainer was Bob Jordan lost his daughter to leukemia and took me on and just trained me from zero. So a lot of that and finishing that line was more, oh my gosh, look at how much I've grown and where I've come from instead of, hey, I did an Ironman. Yeah. Um, but even during the Ironman, meeting people that had beaten melanoma and other cancers. And mm. and and it's just an inspiring, inspiring group of people. So that was um, something naturally checked off the bucket list. Probably will stick to the halves now. Mm. Um, they're just a little bit more attainable while opening a business and finishing schools and things like that that can fit into my life. But I think, um, again, it just, it really has created a different perspective in the treatment side to listening to patients, having been a patient for the last 13 years, having changed entire life and those doctors that touched me that I want to emulate. And it's, it's very different things from different people. So it's been an incredible journey and, and that's where it gets to the whole other side of it too. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, so it sounds like you really evolved. Oh, 100%. Like even from like maybe a student who, you know, coming out of school to a person who, um, you know, had cancer and a survivor through that and someone who's sharing their story about their lifestyle changes. What is maybe some lessons that you would share about like that journey, right? From being, I mean, it's something that I wish a perspective on everyone, but the journey on no one, um, because it's an incredible community. It's incredible people. You have some incredible support, but it was interesting because I was privileged and I was, everything in a way came easy. Mm-hmm. I came from a well-to-do family in Maryland and they gave me everything that I ever could have asked for. 
and all the opportunities. And I didn't have to fight that much for anything. And going through that moment, Mm. losing every bit of me. And again, I I think identity is the the biggest thing is we start to picture ourselves as this perfect little individual that fits in a box. I'm going to be an eye doctor. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. Mm. I'm going to open and do all this stuff. And all of a sudden cancer hits and you're sitting in the hospital saying, none of that matters. Yeah. None of that is the important thing. Yeah. It's the relationships. It's, I want to be a good daughter. I want to be a good sister. I want to be a good aunt. I want to be a good wife. I want to be a good friend. And that was the point of focus that changed is it's not about meeting those marks that you, you've learned to set, the money, the accomplishments, the titles, the any half of that. It's mm. just about at the end of the day, knowing I either one, I mean, my personal goal is made someone smile. Mm. That's that's one thing. If I go through a day and I don't make someone smile, I had a bad day. Mm. Two, if I didn't learn. And that's something that I feel we take advantage a lot, especially as kids, we have to go to school. We have to do these things. Mm-hmm that's forced learning. Mm. That's not the desire to learn. And it doesn't have to be books. Mm. It can be, I learned about you today and mm. I have learned a lot about you. So thank you for crossing that one off. But yeah. those are things that I think society has made these these images of what accounts as an accomplishment. Yeah. And when you're sitting in a hospital at 22 thinking you're going to die, you're not, it was a complete perspective change. And then the other thing is, going through that cancer was all physical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a hundred percent physical body. It was my cells and leukemia and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. There was very little on the mental and emotional side. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to be able to open up and tell this story. I mean, for the first five years, I just wanted to act like it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I did not ever want to tell my story. I didn't want pity. I didn't want to be a survivor. And now that's something I'm most proud of. And my family, we were very much that keep things in the house. Don't let people see. Mm. And I didn't realize how much I was shutting people out for one. Mm. And two, I was shutting myself in. Mm. So it was, those are the things I think just changing the accomplishments as far as what, what defines you is one of the biggest things. And then realizing that having conversations and learning about others and being vulnerable Mm is the best way to connect and make those real relationships count. Yeah. I like that a lot. So, I love how you, you've really um, honed down on the identity. It was a hard thing <laughs> <laughs> when all you, everything you know about yourself, you're an athlete, you're a student, you're, you know, it was very popular and things like that. It all came easy. And then you're sick in a bed and you need your friends to call. And it's none of that made a difference. The athletics, I didn't miss that part. I missed my friends on the team. Yeah. And then it's, I didn't care what I looked like. I just wanted to be around people. Mm. So it, it very much took time to get there. And, um, I know having done a lot of advocacy groups, it's very much a personal journey. And so it took me about seven years of my 12, Mm. 13 in March. Um, to realize that. Yeah. So, man, I, I'm, I now know why you're so great with your, um, the people who come see you. <laughs> I do. And why you listen so well 
and care for them in a way that is so unique. I think your, I think your perspective allows for that and how you see them and just how you shared your story about the people who really helped you and really listened to you. It probably wasn't the people that we would expect. Right. Um, and again, I'm sure everyone was trying That's to help you. Exactly. Right? And I think everyone had their role and I'm so grateful for obviously all the doctors, all the nurses, yep. um, everyone there. It's just more or less the listening factor is lost. And I think the mm. more things you say, the more people say, oh, or almost over advocating for yourself, but oh, they're a hostile patient. Oh, they're trying to tell me what to do. Oh, they're not respecting my power. And mm. that goes back to the power struggle of, mm. we went to school, we know this, why aren't you listening? But usually there's more to it. And if we just take the time to kind of peel back those layers, I, I think it's, we're getting, like you said, the same goal. We want better for each other. Yeah, It's just a matter of getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just going to switch gears for a minute because mm-hmm. I have three three kids. Yes. And I've been dying to ask you this question. <laughs> All right. Yes. So uh, I'm just going to switch gears for a minute. How much screen time yes. <laughs> should a person be on their screen before it starts affecting their their eyesight I mean, or their eye health? Is that really a, a thing or is it not a thing? That is a great question. And I'm glad you bring that up yeah. because there's a lot of misinformation out there um, and a lot of, I mean, interesting information out mm-hmm. there too. But as far as screen time goes, one of the biggest things with the eyes is dryness. Mm. And that is something we're still learning about. And that's where that front surface comes in. Because ultimately, when we just are relaxed and hanging out, we're blinking about 15, 20 times per minute. Wow. That screen, it goes to four to five. And so what happens is Every time, and it's it's not just the screen, but the screen has a very, I mean, it just mesmerizes us. Um, and so we're not getting those regular oils and proteins mm-hmm. and things like that to the front surface. So then those nerves get exposed. Well, now the nerves are sensitive. And so really what it comes to is taking that conscious time to blink is mostly more important. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't remove screens, mm-hmm. school, studying, all of that has to be a thing. Right. It's just about getting those little bit, and it's not even necessarily 20 minutes, 20 feet, 20, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. Um, But it's more about, okay, you know what? I've been sitting here. I'm just going to do a big squeeze or things like that. Um, Ultimately, that's the biggest thing. The whole blue light thing, they have done a lot of studies and shown that it doesn't do much to the eyes. Mm -hmm. The eyes themselves aren't damaged per se. Mm -hmm. Blue light, smallest wavelength, it common sense makes sense that it should Mm -hmm. damage your eyes, but it hasn't shown that. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we don't have the long-term studies, so who knows what the future is going to say on that, but we do know the psychological side. We Mm -hmm. know it interrupts sleep. It can cause, um, you know, the circadian rhythms to go Mm -hmm. off. It causes anxiety, things like that, Mm -hmm. um, hypersensitivity. So, on that side, those people that say, I love the blue blocking glasses, they're valid. Yep. There is those nerves that are sensitive and it's taking them out. Yep. The underlying cause is dryness, yeah. but it is valid. And so mm-hmm. that's where I think the biggest thing with screen time is, you know, obviously doing when you need, but reducing that time when you necessarily don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just taking those conscious blink breaks blink, do a big squeeze, get those glands going. Mm. 
after you finish an article, finish a chapter, finish a page, finish your game, watch a commercial, just do a big squeeze. If you set that reminder at those times, mm. it actually, it's not as detrimental. <clears throat> the other thing we're seeing a lot with screen time is headaches. And this comes to those people that have perfect 2020 vision, don't need anything, but they don't realize that their eyes are doing a lot of work to get that 2020 vision. They're focusing mm -hmm. a lot. And mm -hmm. so when they look at the screen and start getting headaches, it's, oh, it must be something. I'm not drinking enough water or I'm not doing these things. A lot of times it is eyes. And that's something that has changed in the last five years before we didn't prescribe as much. Yeah. Now, um, just even those smaller prescriptions, now we are. Now we want to relax the mm -hmm. eyes as much as we can because that encourages the blank, which encourages the comfort, which makes things better. So it's all about kind of taming the blank, yeah. but it's um, definitely something that we are seeing those front surfaces change. We do know glands can die off mm. and we do want to preserve those because we're starting this at you know younger ages than what we were before. So Again, I don't think I've ever given you a direct answer to any of your questions here, have no, I? This, um, yes, but, you have. It's fantastic. That's again, I, I like, again, hopefully giving you the information to digest and, and kind of set those rules for yourself. But um, I, I would say, you know, if doing two hours, just taking a couple minutes yep. break, giving it a little bit of that screen time, um, a little bit of a, yep. a break from that, giving the eyes a chance to blink, get kind of back to their good moisture point, and then going back at it. Um, and with that, there's there's so many options these days. So, yeah. is there a difference between men and females eyes? <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> that's a loaded question too. But eyes, yes. Um, so women uh, in general, as estrogen goes up and down, pregnancy, we know dryness as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, women, I think we also tend to focus a little more. That's um, for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we also have a little bit more dryness just naturally. Our immune systems tend to be a little bit more heightened. So naturally dries things out a little more. Um, women tend to, believe it or not, not be as concerned with their eyes mm. in the sense that they're doing too much to worry about it. Mm. So men tend to have a little bit more perfection oriented as far as prescriptions, things like that. Women just kind of take what it is, deal. But at the end of the day, um, women dry out a lot more than men. Mm. And that's where um, we see a lot of that dryness, discomfort, stuff like that, for sure. Yeah, I've always wondered that. You know, the only time I ever think about my eyes is only two times when I'm driving. Because that's a really important thing for me. You know, it's like I want to drive and want to drive for a long time. Yes. And second thing is like, I don't mind like having to wear reading glasses. So I guess it's really one thing. It's just driving. Yep. And I'm not saying that females or males care about driving more than no, the other. But I know my dad is like, that's his big thing too. He's almost 80 and his whole life is around. I'm not going to lose my license. Right. And so he'll go see the eye doctor. He'll go take yep. care of himself. Just because he knows he doesn't want to get that privilege taken away. Exactly. And, and I mean, going back to generalizing, um, women, we tend to multitask. We tend to have those brains that want to put do a lot at once. Mm -hmm. And so when we're sitting here talking, we're thinking five other things going on. Mm -hmm. And so there's been studies that show women just tend to, to blink a little less because we tend to just have a lot of things happening. Yeah. Whereas men tend to be more solely, you know, um, one thing focused they they're taking what is on right now and and it's just the brain chemistry side of it yeah. so it's it's interesting how again all of that can play into it 
not to say that, you know, women personality wise versus that, that's a whole different issue thing there. I don't want to go down that road as far yeah, as what kind of eyeglasses. Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. So, um, just to clarify that, but yeah, I mean, those are the things is everyone has that important, mm. important, well, um, point that they want to focus on. Yeah. And that's where I think if we can hone the exams too, to let's keep those eyes healthy, then let's mm. drive, let's do those where can I make that perfect for you Yeah. for the times that you want it perfect? Mm -hmm. And, and that's a hundred percent what we want to aim to. Awesome. Um, and so I think it's smart on your dad's side to look at it again, more holistically than just let me get the best pair of glasses right now yeah. so I can drive. It's let's keep them yeah. healthy so we can keep driving so we can get those good prescriptions. Yeah. I love so that. is there any other things you would want to share with people just maybe about nutrition, but also, you know, you're an expert, obviously, in in eye care and holistic and in every way. I mean, so is there anything you wish that people would know about how to take care of their eyes? You know, I think I'm I'm out to save the blink. I think blinking is the best thing that anyone in it. And That's it's cool. free, which is the best thing ever. I've never heard of that until you mentioned it today. But yeah. that makes so much sense. Well, to and me, even you know? driving. I mean, driving, we know that blink rate drops. Um, so mm. computer tends to have the most, but driving, computer, TV, cell phone, mm. reading, anytime that brain is focused, it reduces a blink because it's a subconscious thing. So driving, that's why mm -hmm. a lot of times, and then the way the defrost and things like that, but the eyes dry out. We just get in that blank stare mode and focus on those big blanks. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of those things that I think is undervalued, but they have thousand dollar machinery to improve our glands when the end of the day it's blinking mm. you don't need thousands of dollars to blink mm. it's just about getting that blink in there um otherwise i i think it's just something that we take vision for granted a lot of the times and we don't start to recognize until something goes wrong mm -hmm. and i think if there's anything else it would be preventative not to say we have to go every single year but just learn about your eyes specifically. How at risk are you for some of these diseases? Mm -hmm. Diabetes, high blood pressure, glaucoma, macular degeneration, retinal holes, all of those are much easier to take care of when it's early. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's preventative. So having 2020 is a great start, but it's not, I kind of consider it like the wiring to the TV. No one cares about that until something goes wrong and then it's havoc to put back together. Yeah. But if you can recognize, hey, this this is starting to fray a little bit. Let me go ahead and fix this. Yep. A lot easier. Yeah. So glasses, that's just changing the channel to the right right screen. But the the wiring's what matters. And that's where we have to take the time to learn a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my two is preventative, get in, just learn about your eyes, learn about your risks mm. assessment and then blink. Yeah. So how often do you think we should blink? I mean, you you throw out some really interesting numbers, like 18 to 20 sounds like like normal. So that's normal. And again, this is a subconscious process. So we're not going to sit right. there. And I mean, Count now, it, of yeah. course, you're probably blinking, but I'm trying to blink. A lot. I was going to say um, that's a good thing for yeah. maybe a week. We'll remember that. But yeah. um, it's kind of like flossing, you know, you need that kind of reminder with it. But it's something that it's subconscious. So we're not going to count and say, okay, let's do 18, 20 blinks. But we have glands all along the top and bottom of our eyelid that if we're not utilizing them, they get backed up, they die off, they don't have the healthy oils. They need to be regularly kind of circulated. Mm -hmm. 
And so by doing a big squeeze, you're using all your facial muscles to kind of put those, all that moisture out. So even if you know I sat down and stared for a while, my eyes are tired, just do some big blinks. Get mm-hmm. those glands going. Get that moisture back. Add an artificial tear if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just getting that moisture for the glands is even more important than getting the moisture in the second for mm-hmm. the eyes. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I think even just recognizing, hey, my eyes are a little tired. Just let me do a big squeeze. Mm-hmm. Move on. It's a split second. It's not anything that puts you out. Mm-hmm just enough to do that. So, and then again, just set those little reminders. Okay, red light, I'm not doing anything anyway. Might as well just blink an (laughs) eye. You know, watching TV, new episode, Netflix asked if you want to continue, just do a big blink. That's probably a good time. So those are the things that make it a little easier to consciously get involved with your subconscious. Yeah. Um, Those are some really great advices. I guess I know that this was supposed to be my last thing for you, but Mm -hmm. I, I had one more question pop up. Yeah. So how about allergies? I mean, because we live in the Northwest in the, in, you know, in the Willamette Valley, which is known for allergies. I yeah. mean, does that really affect a lot of the eye with the dryness? Do you see that? Yeah. So, I mean, um, and, and it's all for sur- full circle. Yeah. What happens is as that eye dries out, now those allergens just get to go right to your eyes and the nerves and irritate. So if you have a blanket of tears there, it at least has a barrier to get to your eyes. Mm-hmm. The other thing is now you have moisture to move it out. If it's dry, it just sits in there and kind of festers. Mm -hmm. If there's moisture, it helps remove it. And then third, it dilutes it down. Now it's not just a bunch of histamine sitting in there. Mm. Now you have moisture. You have a little bit of breaks. But 100% medication. I mean, histamines, mast cells, they're going to come. You got to get rid of them somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The allergy drops just help clean that out, filter out all of that real quick and take care of it. So there's a lot of good over-the-counters that do just as well Mm. if it comes to allergy season. And allergies mostly come as itching. Mm. A lot of times um, people think, oh, you know, my eyes are dry. Maybe it's allergies and use allergy drops. It's not going to hurt, but it's not really going to help. But they definitely go hand in hand. The more people are, the more dry the eye is, the more extreme those allergies tend to be. So. Well, I I don't have any more questions, and I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I've learned a lot. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate everything. Yeah. I mean, I've learned a lot, too. So, again, appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This has been a production of George Fox Digital. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to George Fox Talks on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you're streaming on. Check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks, where we have videos, publications, and more. And we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash georgefoxtalks. <laughs>